0: Why is it that some chiropractors go on to help tens of thousands of patients and become wildly profitable while others struggle to stay busy on a day-to-day basis? We've dedicated this entire show to interviewing some of the top chiropractic minds on the planet and examining the exact strategies that they have used to scale their businesses to the next level. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Chiropractic Marketing Secrets. ready. All right. What's up guys. Welcome to another edition of chiropractic marketing secrets, where you get the latest tips and tricks and strategies, all things marketing related. And I'm super excited for today's guest today because I'm with Jennifer Thompson, who is the president of insight marketing group. And Jennifer has served as the president of insight marketing group since 2006. And she helps physicians and private medical practices throughout the United States attract and retain patients and Rockstar employees. Jennifer has 20-plus years of experience in marketing and business development for startup organizations and as a marketing director for a Fortune 500 company. In 2010 and 2014, Jennifer was elected to the Orange County Board of County Commissioners, where she made decisions that impact over 1.2 million citizens and 60-plus million visitors. Jennifer, Jennifer was often recognized for her use of social media and community outreach in her elected role, and in 2013, Jennifer's company helped the client with Social Madness Competition in Central Florida and go on to place eighth nationally. Jennifer is a serial entrepreneur who wakes up at 4 a.m. every single day, ready to change the world, and she has been invited to share her knowledge at multiple MGMA Association meetings and conferences. as as well as the Florida Bones Conference, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, and the AOA 36 on the topics of social media, reputation management, and leadership. She's also the co-host of Dr. Marketing Tips podcast, which you can find on iTunes. So it's fair to say, Jennifer, that you have a very deep background in not only marketing, but the business world. So I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on this show. And first and foremost, I appreciate you being here.
1: Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. I'm I'm super excited. Jennifer and I are both marketing nerds. That's kind of why I'm excited for this conversation. And she happens to have a lot more experience than I do as well. So maybe I can learn a thing or two from her as well. So I'm, I'm excited, Jennifer. And, you know, before we kind of get into the knit and grit of our conversation, you know, like, how did you even get to where you are today? You know, what was your background and kind of how did you land to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so... um You know, I was one of those people who went to college and never knew what it was or where I would end up or what it was I was going to do. And one thing led me to another, and I started working for a really large real estate investment trust, basically one of the largest owners of shopping centers in the entire world. And they allowed me to run for public office. And running for public office, I ran and I lost. And when I came up from my first loss, licking my wounds, I my phone started ringing and I decided I was, wasn't going to go back to work. And instead, I was going to go out on my own. And I went out on my own, started my first kind of marketing agency back in 2005, 2006. And... I landed my first big medical practice client, and I still have that medical practice client here 15 plus years later. And um, kind of it was during the recession, like right at the beginning, I was like, you know what? I'm only gonna work in healthcare. And we've now built the team to about eight of us full-time on our team, our offices are now inside of a very large orthopedic practice where we work with surgeons every single day. And we kind of use them as our like guinea pig and our lab of what works from a marketing standpoint and what doesn't. And then a couple of years ago, I started a training business that does um, training for medical practice employees specifically. And so it's really been like putting one foot in front of the other and making sure that you are, you're always getting ready to be ready. And really just trying to, you know, be the best that you can be and and make smart decisions and have a good time while you're doing it and deliver, you know, great things to your clients.
0: 100%. I love that. Was there, and I may, maybe, I'm sorry if I missed this, was there any reason that you chose to kind of be in the medical field or is that just something that kind of fell into place?
1: No, I landed a big medical client and um, decided, you know, you're you're somewhat newer in this. I mean, you've been doing this for for a bit, but not probably Mm -hmm. for close to 20 years. When I first started out, I thought, well, let me just do marketing for whoever came to me. And I just always felt like we were having to learn something new every single, like every time there was a new client. And instead of of having to like reinvent the wheel and learn something new every time, let's just focus on one specialty and let's niche down. And we made that decision right at the beginning of the recession in 08. And I really believe firmly that that's what got me through the recession and got me out on... Coming out even better than the way I went in is because we fully niched down and became experts in one area.
0: Yeah, that yeah, I think you hit the ball on the head. I, you know, in our in our quick conversation before this podcast, you know, I had talked about my background too. And when I, when I started, I was in the same boat as you. Oh, I'm run, run a marketing agency. Every business needs marketing. Well, that was the exact point. You you can never really serve people at the level that you want to serve them at because you're constantly having to relearn different niches relearn different market pain points, relearn distributions, all that kind of stuff, you know. So I think you nailed that right there, and it's evident that you guys gained a lot of traction. So let's, uh, let, let's get into the marketing stuff, though. You know, uh, one of the things that I know you're real big on is the importance of, like, you know, the online space and, more importantly, the online reviews, right? And so for a, for a standard, standard docker position, you know, how important are those online reviews and what can we do to kind of get more reviews in the online space?
1: Yeah, I would say that if you were only going to do one thing for a standard physician, especially where it's a specialty that somebody has a choice of what, whether they go to this orthopedic practice or the next one, it's the focus on your your digital footprint online and what other people are saying about you. Because, you know, I move into an area, I'm looking for a pediatrician. The very first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to go on Facebook or I'm going to go to Nextdoor or one of those places and I'm going to ask for a recommendation. I'm going to get a recommendation for Dr. Jones and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go onto that thing called Google and I'm going to type in Dr. Jones's information. I'm going to look at what other people have said about Dr. Jones, whether it is true or not, and that's how I'm going to make my decision of whether or not I proceed with that appointment. So if there's one area that physicians need to be focused on from a marketing perspective, I think first and foremost, there's a couple top level things, but first and foremost, it's getting your hands around kind of that perception of you or of your practice that's out there in the public. And then from there, you can you know lean into your, kind of your content strategies, using your reviews. We can lean into your social media strategy, utilizing your reviews. But first and foremost, it's, it's kind of get your hands around it. And I get people that ask me all the time, like, how should we get more reviews? And back in the day, as in a couple of years ago, I might've said, you know, come up with a little card, put it in your, in your lab coat, hand it out if you have somebody with a positive experience, and then let's focus on it that way. I don't suggest that at all anymore. In fact, when the doctors come to me and say, Hey, I ran out of cards, we always tell them like, don't worry about the cards anymore. We got this. I really think you should remove yourself and your staff from the equation when it comes to asking for reviews and you should automate the process. There's plenty of software out there that allows you to automate that process. So you should ask everybody good, bad, and ugly to leave you reviews online. And by doing that, you start like juicing yourself from a search standpoint, making yourself more accessible for when patients are looking for you and you're getting great data that you can then use to improve your
0: practice. I love all that. And I think there's, there's so much to be said about, you know, especially when you're new, just kind of establishing, I think you said the social footprint and, you know, just taking other people's words and third party testimonials and like, there's nothing that's going to have, especially in like, especially when people are making those high level decisions for for their health, you know, there's nothing that's going to trump some sort of really good review and or just really ultimately social proof to an extent as well, you know?
1: Yeah, I use, um, I use reviews in all the marketing. And before we were really heavy on getting like, you know, online reviews on Google and health grades and vitals and all those places. I've always kind of taken this patient forward or patient first approach because, you know, to to do well in search, I mean, you know this and you tell your clients all the time, you've got to produce regular content and it has to be really regular stuff. And, and yeah, I guess you could write a couple pages on your website each month that are just like, you know, standard blogs that are very similar to what everybody else have that may or may not show up in search. But I'm a big believer in taking the stories from your actual patients and turning those stories into video and social content first, transcribing them for long form content, and then writing about the procedures that you're performing on your patients in their words and creating great long form content. And so what I mean by that is we always lead with these patient stories do a bunch of video around it, turn that into long form content into several different mediums, and then use that as the recurring piece for those practices moving forward. So we tell the story of the practice through the story of the patients because that's how patients are looking for providers now.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, in the basis of marketing and human psychology, you know, we always talk to, we always talk to our clients, is like, you don't want to be the hero, you want to be the guide. And so if you can't constantly tell your own story of how good you are, you know, you're just positioning yourself as a hero. But if, you, if your patients are writing all these awesome reviews about you, and you're getting all the social proof, now you're positioning yourself as the guide to many. And now somebody who doesn't know you could potentially see you and allow them, you're basically allowing them to be seen and heard and then they can be, you know, they you can, they decide for themselves they if you are there, the right solution for you, you know? And, um, I, I love that. And I think that really nothing's ever going to trump that. And what's interesting and what I want to talk about too, is do you think that people, um, often change providers like a lot? And if so, you know, what is like the cause of people kind of changing providers all the time, if that makes sense?
1: I think that people will, I don't know about once they're there, but, um, I think people will make a purchasing decision based on a positive or negative review. Hands down. I mean, we do it all the time. Like, you know, you go on Yelp and you're looking for a restaurant that's in the area and you're like, "Mm," you know, it might have like 35 star reviews, but then you see like two that are like the server sucked. And all you can think about is "Mm, I don't know if I'm going to go there because of the server. It's the exact same thing in healthcare. And, um, I work across a lot of specialties, you know, vascular, ortho, ENT, ophthalmology, but for some reason in orthopedics in particular, I'm just dealing with negative reviews on a regular basis. And I think a lot of it has to do with when, when an orthopedic practice does work comp and people end up having to go back to work prior than when they want to go back to work. And um, I think people will change their buying, um, buying decision based on a negative review, which is why it's so important to get a lot of reviews and also why it's so important to respond to negatives. Even if you can't fix the problem, showing that you care enough to try to resolve something, and I'm not saying violate HIPAA, I'm saying acknowledge the fact that a review is left provide a direct phone number for somebody to pick the phone and to call and to discuss whatever the, the issue is, because it's all about the way people are perceiving you. It's all about the patient's experience and that patient's experience may not even, they may not even ever pick up the phone to call you. That experience may be determined through somebody else's opinion.
0: Yeah. So that, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask. So your advice is if somebody does leave you a negative review, you know, regardless if it's in context, out of context, blown out of proportion, whatever it is, your, your, your advice would be take the time, respond with a direct number to point of contact, and acknowledge the issue, let them be seen that you heard them, and then basically just show that you're available and really willing to solve an issue.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you could look, you, the, for really negative ones, like sometimes you get them removed. It's very few and far between. Um, I had one today that we ended up having to report one kind of tip of things that we've been doing for clients in the last couple of years is because we send reviews now to everybody and we don't just wait until like after the appointment to send them the text message asking for the review. We actually ask for reviews in the waiting room in the patient rooms and like the common areas. And what we've done is we've created pages on the websites where it's like, you know, practice name slash feedback. So if there's a negative experience at any level while they're in the practice and they want to leave us an internal review right then, we can actually inter- like intercept that negative review while they're in the practice. Or you know, so sometimes people just wanna be heard and they wanna get it off their chest. So if yeah. you provide the feedback form, you can sometimes capture that negative review internally and deal with it offline because you gave them an outlet. And so that's another way that you can, you know, it's an easy tip. It's really inexpensive to make a change on your website. If not free, you put up some flyers and you make yourself available so that people can say something to you without having to confront you face to face. Cause you know, like most days they just want to text you or, or fill out a form, but at least they get the opportunity to get it off their chest.
0: Yeah. And that's super interesting. I think that you made a good point there that I want to kind of go in. is a lot of times people just, they feel like their message isn't being heard, whether that's a positive or a negative message. And so they want to have a place that they can feel like they can I put this review here because i'm emotionally you know positive or negative at the time that's going to allow my voice to be heard right and sometimes and sometimes that's to your point that's all people want and they're they're doing the review strategies because they feel there's no other way to find someone to hear them you know and so if you can intercept that and allow them to hear them in person then that's a w
1: yeah we call them we call them filtered reviews and so some of the kpis that we track on a regular basis for our clients are like What's the number of, po- like, what's the number or the percentage of positive versus negatives? And then what, what's the percentage of filtered reviews that we're able to get? So we, the, the goal is to capture the negatives and really promote the heck out of the positives.
0: Love it. I love that. And, you know, I think this, this kind of transitions well into, you know, the point I want to go into next, um, you know, a little bit off the review side of things. But if somebody were to have, you know, say one man doctor, maybe an HR, maybe one or two team members, you know. What do you think would be the best use of their marketing time and budget on a weekly basis, monthly basis?
1: For um, a small practice, I would say get into in the what we've referred to as in the moment social media. I think that there's a, there's a big difference between being on social, and I'm not talking about ads. I'm talking about content. Um, there's a big difference in being on social. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, but well, what does that mean? Like a couple of years ago, that meant like I put a new blog post out. Now I'm putting something on social or I'm saying like happy father's day. Um, but if you can be in the moment and create pretty good content, whether it is, um, maybe it's someone who just had an adjustment and they're feeling great and you pull out your cell phone and you get quick 15 seconds of them doing something that they couldn't do 10 minutes ago and you put that on social media i would focus on things like that that are very in the moment that are allowing you to build engagement capture your audience and really kind of be at the right place at the right time when potential patients are looking for you and you can do that very inexpensively through social and it's a great way to engage you know potential patients that are out there and engage staff
0: I love that. And I think there's one thing that, you know, I'll add to that because I think there's so much to be said about the in the moment stuff, because one, it's so much more authentic. And I feel like a lot of people, um, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm going to take Friday afternoon. I'm going to batch everything. I'm going to get all my content done. Right. And what happens is a lot of the time, you know, you'll try and start doing that and you might not get all the way done. And so then you start taking shortcuts and those shortcuts look like, you know, not being authentic, using stock photos, not real photos of your office, you know? And so, you're better off probably doing, you know, three to five posts a week that are more authentic in the moment than posting seven days a week of just that stock photo that nobody engages with. That's just a straight up call to action that says we're open, call this number, you know, that's just not what people are engaging with, you know? And I think people forget the human side of stuff on social media. They're like, it's like, Hey, would you, would you interact with somebody? It, you know, if you saw them on the street, if you my only thought is if you will not interact with somebody the way you are on social media, the way you would on the street, then don't post it. You know what I mean? So, so you got to remember the human aspect, and I think you nailed it right there.
1: Yeah, you gotta, you got to create stuff that's thumb-stopping. You know, yep. that's what we like to say, thumb-stopping. It's got to be interesting, and there's so many ways to do it. So at this point, I tell people, don't waste your time just being on social. If you just want to be on social, buy some ads.
0: Yeah, for real, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that it too, is, you know, and like i see an I'll throw a little twist in there with the, with the paid side of media too. It's like, you know, when you do get bigger and you do have more time and you still want to show up all the time, you know, I call it the automated salesperson, you know, it's like, maybe it is time that, to run just some ad and just have it run in the background. You know, maybe it is time to exchange dollars for exposure rather than time for exposure, you know? And so as you transition into a bigger practice and your business starts to grow, you know, it's a matter of where is your time best spent versus where can you just spend a little bit of money and get, potentially buy back your time and get more return.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. We have practices all the time, like doctors all the time are like, I was looking at my, my Facebook page and I don't see anything. I don't understand what you're doing. I'm like, don't worry about it. We've got all these ads running. They're highly targeted. Everything's ready to go. It's just, there's there's such a difference between being kind of in it, on it, serving ads, like hire the experts because the experts understand, And like you just said, get your time back and you go focus on your patients and we'll focus on driving patients
0: to the door. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. That's why I always tell people too, is like you, as a practitioner, when you first start out, you have to hustle like crazy. Obviously, you got to do a lot of stuff like any sort of new business, but when you get big enough, you know, eventually it's just like your time should just be only spent on what you do best, which is helping people, you know? So, in the same as you know, true that you brought the business page. What's funny is like the Facebook business page, you know, and and I, don't, I wanted to just kind of say this on here because I think a lot of people don't know this, is the Facebook's business page pretty much gets zero exposure. It's like 5 or 10% exposure, you know? So, like, if you have a 1,000 people that follow you and you're posting on there every day, that's cool, but I realize that only 50 to 100 of those people are actually going to see your post, you know? So, if your goal is to get more new people and more exposure, then you know you might consider different avenues maybe you would consider a paid side maybe you would consider a platform with more organic reach whatever whatever works but it's important to understand like how the algorithms are changing and stuff like that too yeah for real i love it so in terms of um you know in terms i want to kind of something i don't talk a lot about but i know you have a lot of experience um how do you feel that training is kind of incorporated with marketing? You know, people always say like, isn't that kind of more of the HR side of things, but like, how do you feel that training kind of affects the marketing of a clinic?
1: So go back to this whole concept that people are choosing their providers based on what's being said about you online. And when you, when you consider that, um, so I'll, I'll tell you a story. So I had a practice pretty big practice, about 350 employees, 26 providers eight offices, something like that. And they, I was sitting in a meeting one day and they were talking about all this training and development they were getting ready to do for the next year. And they were trying to piecemeal it together. And they had about 100, $120,000 budget that they wanted to spend on these like trainings, one in the spring, one in the fall. And I said, well, what is this training we're going to do? And they were like, well, we're going to have this person come in and they're going to deliver some workshops. And basically that's it we said, well, hold on a second. We have over 10,000 reviews online. Let's pull those reviews down. Let's run, you know, some, let's test the data. Let's look at them like what the algorithm tells us. Let's identify what the common themes are. And then based on those negatives of what the feedback is, let's put together a custom program that we can actually train for what the problems are. And so we took the 10,000 reviews, we broke them down and we understood that there was a disconnect happening at the front desk. There um, was pretty pretty much like everything related back to the patient experience. Like there was a little disconnect over here, there's a disconnect over here. So we put together a training program specifically focusing on the patient experience. And we ended up doing, um, that year we, we delivered two trainings to them. We actually partnered with somebody that came in and did the in-house workshops. And I say all that to say that Marketing is directly, training is directly related to marketing and every single employee is responsible for marketing your practice. And so if we can train the employees on how, how the, the decision-making process works now, how the patient's journey goes from the time that they decide they need a provider to the time that they like are paying their bill, and we teach everybody so everybody's on the same page. We take care of the employees, we create these engagement programs they take care of the practice. And for this practice in particular, they were able, remember it's 10,000 reviews, it's a lot. They were able to go from like a 4.2 to a 4.6 star in less than a year. And when you consider how many reviews they have, it was a significant increase. And so I think that your employees are your best training, or your best marketers. So you teach your employees how to market, whether it's passive or um, proactive, then, they'll go out
0: and build your practice for you right i like that and what's interesting about that is it, there's a level of cohesiveness that comes with that too you know if everybody has the same brand message and the same market message when somebody whether somebody comes in the door and they're having a conversation with somebody or working with the providers or working with the receptions at the end again whatever it is right as long as they have the same brand message and the same the journey is kind of cohesive for the patient uh, yeah, i think that's and well if you're said.
1: teaching your employees what you mm-hmm. what the messages that you want them to be saying, and you know how it is, like in a medical practice, everybody's wearing scrubs or everybody's wearing like a branded shirt, and then they go to the grocery store at lunchtime or they're running their errands, and like they're your best they're your best marketers. You have to teach them what you want them to say, and they need to understand kind of what the challenges are you know, and what the patient journey looks like
0: nowadays. I love them there's there's so much truth to that do you feel like that often gets overlooked by clinics the training yes. of like the, yeah
1: yes more often than not I will have a doctor come to me and ask us to do whatever I have to do to bury these negative reviews about their bedside manner or about some billing issue and I'll say doc let's stop worrying about burying them because you can only bury so much let's focus let's get to the root of the problem Which is the whole reason we started the training company in the first place is look we know that patient experience is the biggest thing right now and we need to train we need to train our people to deliver the best possible patient experience we know that communication is an issue especially because there's five generations in the workforce so let's teach our employees how to be better communicators across generations and then let's create training that that keeps employees engaged, because when we created the training, we were at full employment. I mean, everywhere it was full employment. So how do you retain employees instead of having to rehire? You do that in part by offering them opportunities to advance, and you do that by, like, teaching them actually what they need to know and not just, like, throwing something blanket out there at them.
0: I love it. So if somebody wanted to, you know, in quote unquote, turn their, turn the employee into some crazy, like really basically successful marketing machine, what are the characteristics and what are like the trainings that you think are critical for employees to go through to get the level of marketing and training that they need?
1: I really think that it's, this is not rocket science and like we don't have to teach them something that's difficult. We need to teach people how to be decent communicators and how to put a smile on their face and it's basic customer service.
0: I love that, 100%. Keep it simple, it's back to the human stuff. you know, if it's, you're, it's so
1: simple. Just smile yeah. and say thank you and you're welcome and be genuine and authentic and it will pay dividends.
0: Back to the human stuff. I, again, it's, you know, it's funny because it's like everybody likes to overcomplicate stuff. You know, it, it's just like back to the, the same stuff you heard when you're in fourth grade. Treat people how you want to be treated. And I know that's basic, but it's the same stuff, you know. And people can tell people can tell authenticity and actual like being genuine versus something that's fake. And you can like even if you don't come out and say it, your soul can recognize that. You know what I mean? And so if you teach people how to be authentic, if you teach people how to be genuine, have a good conversation, you know, and even how to like direct the conversation, you know, like it'll just pay absolute dividends for forever, literally. And, and sometimes I've
1: noticed, I mean it just depends on on the practice that we work with, but you know, as younger people are coming through the workforce, like the millennials get a bad rap and the younger people are digital natives and the ones kind of still running the show are your baby boomers and everybody gives and receives information differently. Sometimes it's just about training people how to communicate with their peers at work. And if you can improve that, then you can improve the cohesiveness of the teams, You can identify real leaders, and you can teach them how to interact better with that potential patient out there. And again, it goes back to what you just said. It's like the human stuff. Like, how do you be a decent person? How do you say thank you? Um, I know like you're more comfortable texting me. You don't want to pick up the phone. Do I think that's rude? No. Then I find out like it's not rude. It's because you genuinely don't want to disrupt whatever I'm doing. So it's like learning how to work with one another across these generations, I think, is a big deal for practices.
0: I love that. Do you ever do, and this is something that, you know, I've not had a little experience with, are you, are you familiar with something similar to order the actual thing, uh, the disc assessment? Yes. You know, Yeah, you, got, you guys do it. So that's some interesting stuff too. And, you know, in ter- and also uh, in addition to like the kind of like generational gap, you know, the disc assessment kind of just unlocks just how some people want to be communicated with you know like for me you know i'm like i'm a, a kind of like in the d of the disc right so i'm more so like let's get to the point let's get the results um but that's basically how i am but other people do not like that you know Some people want to have that small talk some people want to take it slower some people want to make sure everyone's on board you know and so it's just like learning how people want to be talked to and how and how employees can communicate collectively and how they want to be communicated with too you know
1: yeah. Every year I do a retreat for my team and we go to, um, we're in Orlando. So we go to Disney and we spend like a week at the, um, at the parks and nice. at the resorts. hopefully it happens this year. And we do that. And last year I brought in a, a professional, like personality assessment coach and mm-hmm. she spent a full day analyzing everybody's kind of assessment and then bringing it all together to teach us how to work together as a better team. It was the best couple thousand dollars that I've spent in years because it got the team all on the same page to understand how we interacted with each other. It made us better for each other and it made us better for our clients. So there's a lot of merit that goes into understanding personalities.
0: There is. And it's crazy too because like you understand communication, you understand relationships, and you also understand from like a, like a coaching perspective and training perspective, like after people take that assessment, you can really start to figure out like, is this employee in the right position for what they natively want to be doing as like a human being? You know what I mean? And sometimes like people will struggle in roles and I'm not going to sit here and say, I have any employees. I've just done this with other coaches and stuff, but it's like people will struggle in roles because not because like they're not qualified as a human. It's just because they're not fit for that exact role. Their natural tendencies don't naturally align with what you have going on in the role, you know? And so it, it really does unlock. And again, what we've said a hundred times but it's taking it back to the humans how are people like if you try and go against human grain you're gonna have a lot harder time than if you go with human grain and that's for marketing that's for communication that's for relationships you got to go with human grain yeah good, good advice I love that and so I want to ask you something about um, you know in terms of um, like the media side of things you know if somebody at what point do you think because that sounds like you have a little experience with the paid ad side too you know, at what point do you think a practice would be suited to start, you know, kind of introducing like kind of like a paid social media strategy versus more of the organic?
1: I, I think every day of the week. I um, love it. I think, that, <laughs> I think that the organic stuff is like a marathon, you know, it's, it's constant training and it's like it's ongoing. And the minute you stop, you know, training, like the, the minute your legs fall apart type thing, like you have to always be doing the organic. But the thing about ads and, you know, whether it's social ads or AdWords, I mean, you build these campaigns for the most part and it's a faucet and you can turn it on and you can turn it off based on what's going on. I mean, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars every month. You can spend and, you know, for the most part, the science will tell you this is what you can expect out of that spin. So it's, it's pretty simple. Like if you need 20 new patients next month, then spend the money to get the 20 new patients. You know, it's going to happen. And so I think that a lot of times practices like to wait to, you know, do AdWords or buy social ads. But I would say I would even start with it because it's a way to quickly get up to speed where, you know, the organic stuff takes a lot of work and a lot of energy and you have to be consistent.
0: I love that. You know, there's a lot of different advice from all kinds of different people, but I'm I'm always been in the same boat, you know, because a lot of times it's like, realistically, especially like on, you know, we I'm mostly focused on like the Facebook side of stuff, you know, but there's like there's really no like cheaper place to acquire business, you know, like, you know, I've seen guys get, you know, new patients for five dollars and eighty six cents on a lead, you know what I mean? And so like, is that gonna happen in every market? No. But like the the reality is that that could be thirty-five dollars and eighty six cents and it's still massively lucrative, you know what I mean? And for your point, it's predictable. It's like okay, if I spend twenty bucks a day, this is what I can get in results. If I spend four hundred bucks a day, I'm going to get this result and it's pretty predictable, you know, until the ad starts to kind of fatigue and then you make some changes and you're right back to it, you know.
1: That's exactly the case. And it's, it's funny too, because we were having a conversation with a gastroenterologist this week and he wants to turn some ads back on. And uh, we're like, all right, well, how many patients do you want? No, 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 no. I just want to talk about how much I'm going to spend. We're like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about how many patients that you want to acquire because we know how much it's going to cost. Um, But I think sometimes with docs, like it's hard for them to get their mind around the idea that you can figure out how much it's going to take to acquire this customer. So let's build the budget based on that. Instead, instead they get hooked on a number instead of like the actual result.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And and what's funny about that um, is I know there's obviously like, you know, people that manage ads, you know, like ourselves and stuff like that, that kind of have some fee involved and stuff too. But the reality is it's like, you know, I, I, I sit down with people and they're like, Oh, you know, I, I only want to spend, you know, hundred bucks a day, a hundred bucks, you know, a month on ads. I'm like, okay. Like that's you, you can think in that logic, but the reality is like, you're just shorting your own business. You know what I mean? Like what you put in is literally what you're going to get out. And the reality is, it's like, especially for people selling high ticket, high ticket packages, high ticket services, like it's so lucrative. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you got, again, you could spend $5 and 66 cents and land a $2,500 care plan for your chiropractor or, You know, a $10,000 surgery, if you're a surgeon, you know, whatever it is, you know what I mean? And so it's the exposure. And again, if there was a cheaper place to advertise, I I would be talking about that because I'd be advertising there. But right now there's just not, you know.
1: No, and it's cheaper than it's been in a long time right now, too. So if you're going to do it, get into
0: it. We've been having fun, honestly, and that is because, like, you know, on our side, you know, you do, uh, you have a whole compass a lot more than we do. But we, we primarily only focus on the paid side. And, you know, we've been having a lot of fun because everybody else has turned off their ads because they're like, ah, uncertainty, uncertainty. And then they're like, hey, uh, I'll tell you what, if you're in my world, you're gonna run twice the budget because mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity out there.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, there's also a lot of pent up demand, and so like taking advantage of that pent up demand, it, I mean, that's huge. And there's an opportunity right now. To
0: turn the faucet back on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I I think we're about, you know, about 40 some minutes here, which is great. I want to talk to you about one more quick topic, though, that I think you'll have a good knowledge based on. Um, What do you think are some like limiting beliefs that providers have in regards to like their marketing? You know, like, what are you, what are the things that are holding people back from, you know, starting to market themselves from really just becoming the big fish in the small pond?
1: I think that at least for the folks that I work with it feels like the physicians have been burned before mm. and they've tried things and it hasn't necessarily worked because people think doctors have money and so like they're constantly coming to them and trying to get them to spend money and I think that's a limiting belief is because they're just they're afraid to do it like oh, look I tried that it didn't work and, you know and interesting too like the older physicians and when I say older, it's all relative, but like the older physicians, remember back when the the AMA told them, do not market yourself. That's in poor taste. And then, you know, in the last 10 years, it has changed so much. So I really think for physicians out there, you've got to find somebody you can trust. And And I think that's partly why we went into a single niche is because you want somebody who's going to understand your business because it is so unique. You know, understanding like, the payer mix and, and value-based care versus pay for, you know, fee-for-service and, and understand like the HIPAA regulations and, you know, everything that, you know, C-cap scores and HCAP cap scores and, and having somebody that kind of speaks your language, I think that's like a big one. And then also, I don't know that, and I wouldn't say this about the younger doctors or the ones just coming out, but I'm not sure that doctors really understand how powerful search is. And how much what people have said about them is influencing that decision. Most of the time, the experience with the physician is a great one. The patient-physician relationship is so strong and such a coveted relationship. And so the doctors, you know, they see that as, well, I have a great relationship with my patients. I have good referral relationships. They're going to recommend me. But they don't always see the way that the world works right now. And I think that's why they're sometimes afraid to dip their toe in there. Plus, these guys are busy. And sometimes they just Jeff. Sometimes they just don't have time to think about it until it's too late.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think the guys that are that are busy, and you know, if they're if they're busy and they're happy with where their business is at and they're content, then you know, that's a whole different conversation. But the guys that are, you know, it's funny because like people will hop on calls with us, and they'll say, you know. They're on the call with me and they know I do marketing, and they're like, Hey, you know, like I don't really need to do marketing. I grew my business through word of mouth. And I say, Well, are you happy with where your business is at now? And they'll say, Well, no. And I said, Of course you're not, because that's why you're on this call with me right now. So the thing is, is like, you know, word of mouth is great, and word of mouth is always going to be there. But if I'm fishing in a fishing tournament and I have to try and catch the biggest fish to win, And I have the ability to have, you know, one or 20 poles in the water. What am I going to have? I'm going to have 20 poles in the water. And so everybody, everybody is always like, I don't need to market. I got word of mouth. And that's cool. That's one channel, right? You got your paid ads, you got your word of mouth, you got your organic, you got your email list, you know, there's no finite amount of marketing, you know, avenues that we have to have. And I think people get caught up in that. They're like, ah, you know, I got word of mouth. I'm good. You know, it's like, if you're happy, then that's okay. But if you're not, then it's okay to throw out more polls. It's okay to do the AdWords. It's okay to do the paid ads. It's okay to do the organic, you know? Like, it's just different ways of exposure, you know? Uh, I would
1: say this too, like, you know, we're recording this, like, during COVID. And the practices that I have seen that have been successful and that are going to come out better are the ones who have always made the investment because they were able to pivot the fastest and they already had the audiences built and so they're making up ground because they already had the train was in motion yeah once 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 the patients dry up and you're no longer able to do elective surgery and you've got to pivot to figure out how to get onto telemedicine and everything else it's too late to start gaining gaining market share you have to already have it and so even if you're not going to market full on all the time making sure that you have control over what's happening so that you're ready if you need to ramp up I think that's the difference maker between just being okay and thriving in kind of a a troubled water, which is what we're in now.
0: Yeah. I think that's really, really well said. And I think the guys that were continuing to make the investments while the times were good and continuing to just get more exposure to your point, had a lot easier making the transition into the the, the telehealth because they already had the audience versus the smaller guys who played it more safe or actually didn't play it safe because now they have to make up audience grounds. They have to pivot their business model, come up with new offerings and basically find a new audience to give those offerings to at the end of the day. You know, I think that's well said. And I, I think that just encompasses marketing entirely. You know, there's a short term ROI for marketing. There's a mid-term oh, ROI for marketing and there's a long term ROI for marketing. And it's all and it's present in every facet. You know what I mean? And so it's just a matter of n- not always thinking the short term. Well, look for the short term. Obviously, you want it to be providing ROI, but also be thinking long term, too. I love that. All right. So this is my last question for you. And um, I think this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you being with us, Jennifer. Um, you know, what do you feel that docs can do to totally just take 100% control of their like digital footprint? You know, what steps should they start going through to kind of just take control once and for all of their digital footprint?
1: That's that's a pretty big question. Um, the very first thing I would do is look at, your listings on all of these directory websites out there because for the most part there's over a hundred websites out there that have your information listed and a large portion of them are pulling from the national MPI database that updates twice a year and you know we've got docs that'll be like they're 20 years into practice but it's still pulling data from their residency you know 20 years prior and so if you really want to get a hold of it check your directory listings, check your, check your Google My Business, make sure that all of your profiles match across the board. Um, that's the very first thing I would do as a practice. Like if I'm a doc that wants to get my hand around Digital Footprint, I would make sure that my information is correct everywhere. And then I would come up with a small marketing plan that maybe, you know, you're skeptical, but baby steps, and then start working the steps and you'll get more comfortable on your feet. And as you get more comfortable, you know they'll call you, Jeff, and they'll ask for some ads. And you know that'll lead to more patients, it'll get reinvested, and then all of a sudden they'll be running. But you gotta take those baby steps, and that really starts with making sure that the information about you online is correct. Because, Doc, whether you ask for that info to be there or not, it is, so you might as well get your hands around it.
0: Well said, well said. I, I, I appreciate all the knowledge you've shared. And I think one thing that me and you both know that's very common and a lot of people don't like to admit this fact. And I tell people all the time, if you decided to open a clinic and you decide to be a business owner indirectly, you also raised your hand and said, I'm a marketer now. And a lot of people don't want to think that they don't want to think I'm a marketer. I'm, I'm a doctor, not a marketer. It's like, Hey, if you opened your clinic and you decided to be a business owner, you basically raised your hand and said, I'm going to do some sort of marketing because that's what I signed up for, you know? And so I appreciate all of the insights that you've given, given us, Jennifer. If um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, totally. They can
1: um, they can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on my website, which is insightm as a marketing g as in group.com, And they can always follow our podcast on iTunes or whatever their favorite podcast player is. It's Doctor Marketing Tips. Doctor
0: Marketing Tips. Nice. Well, I'll make sure to uh, link out all of Jennifer's contact information in the show notes below. If you guys have any questions for her directly, you can click on some of the links, check out her social media, check out her podcast. She's got a lot of tips as you guys have heard on here. And again, Jennifer, I appreciate you taking the time today to share some of your wisdom with us.
1: Thanks a lot for having me, Jeff. I appreciate
0: it. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I really hope you're able to grab some actionable information that you can take and run with for your own business. If we missed any of your questions or if you have anything you want us to discuss in an upcoming episode, shoot us an email at chiropracticmarketingsecrets@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's secrets at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, please, please, please share it with somebody who might be able to benefit from it. Your support means the world to us.